So even with Bitcoin's price in the dumpster fire, uh, these Bitcoiners are uh, still trying to defraud um, the poorest third world countries, you know, in Africa, South America. And when I mean defraud, I mean sell them Bitcoin, get them to buy Bitcoin, convince their dictatorship leaders, leaders, right? Um, you know, like the Central African Republic, um, they call themselves a republic. I don't know anything about this country, but I know this leader was convinced, bribed, conned, right, defrauded into buying Bitcoin or, you know, passing a law saying Bitcoin's a new currency there. Um, where's the outrage among, you know, um, you know, white people, you know, the liberal left, you're by being silent, right? You're complicit in this idea that, um, these rich first world white Bitcoin bros are going to convince a bunch of poor people, you know, in the third world, a lot of, uh, you know, poor Africans, uh, to buy Bitcoin, right? And I realized that not everybody from Africa is poor, but I would argue that uh, a lot of these countries, the people live in poverty, and what they're doing is selling these people a get-rich-quick scheme, but what they're ultimately doing is trying to uh, rustle up new demand, uh, and they're doing it with these poor people from third world, from the third world, uh, and it's really disgusting. So where's the outrage here? You know, these Bitcoin people are mostly white men. Uh, and you could argue, are they being racist here? I would argue perhaps they are. Um, what's, you know, maybe it's not racism, but it looks pretty bad. It looks pretty bad when you have this rich white male uh, from the United States basically defrauding a bunch of poor people, brown and black people, from the third world. And because I think it's a con, I think it's fraud. That's a form. That's a, that's, that is a crime. And when you commit a crime, um, usually there's, there's, there's some kind of justice system. So hopefully these countries have, you know, what, you know, what we have here, which is, well, the last strings of it, at least, you know, the justice system, the, the courts, we, the rule of law, where, you, if you're accused of a crime, right, it has to be proven in a court of law. Um, I don't know what they have in, in the Central African Republic or, you know, you could, you know, say El Salvador. Uh, do they even have the rule of law over there? Um, I don't know. But um, I do think that these Bitcoiners, if they're going to be conning people in the third world, you know, especially poor black people to buy their bags, right, um, because these Bitcoiners are basically selling to the poor people in Africa who are buying Bitcoin. The only reason why the poor people in Africa are buying Bitcoin is because these white Bitcoiners from the U.S., uh, the first world, have, have lied to them. So what should we do with people who commit fraud? Well, that's it's theft, right? Uh, I believe in an eye for an eye to some extent. I believe in justice. Um, and I think that if you're going to be a Bitcoiner, defrauding all these other countries and poor people, um, we should basically give, extradite you, right? And let these countries deal with you in their own way. Now, hopefully that involves the court system. And, you know, 
what we consider justice in, in America, right, is that you're accused of a crime and they have to prove it in the court of law. Um, so hopefully they have something like that over there. But I do think that these Bitcoiners that are promoting this stuff to these third world countries um, should be tried. They should be sent over to these third world countries and let's let's let the uh, the countries figure out what to do with them. <laughs> and I am being a little tongue in cheek here, but not really. I mean, if you defraud people, right? These people deserve justice, and to at the very least, these Bitcoin bros should make the people whole. So Bitcoin's crashed, right? And they were over in Central African Republic conning these people to buy Bitcoin and their leader to buy Bitcoin. They should at least make this country whole. Everyone who bought Bitcoin that they conned, they need to make whole, right? They need to cover their losses. Um, I also will include El Salvador. I'm sure there's other countries that they've been um, defrauding people in. Now, at the very least, the Bitcoin bros should make these people whole. If they're not willing to do that, right, then I, I suggest the U.S. ship them out, right? Basically give them to these third world countries and then these third world countries that they've defrauded, right, can um, <laughs> implement their own system of justice, whether that means, you know, punishment behind bars is up to them. Uh, but these people, these Bitcoin bros should pay for their crimes, which means they should pay for, be, for, for basically committing theft against all these poor nations, and to some extent, destabilizing these countries, like if you if you convince El Salvador to buy a bunch of Bitcoin with the people's money, which the Bitcoiners have and they've celebrated, this guy's down like a lot on the Bitcoin investment, Bu Kelly from El Salvador. Bitcoin bros should make that country whole. They should fill the gap, right? Uh, because they basically defrauded this country. They basically were selling... Uh, their bags uh, to the people in El Salvador, which is really disgusting if you look at it that way. So um, I do jest here, but not really, because <laughs> these Bitcoin bros, they uh, they really want to destabilize a country, right? Um, and if you destabilize a country, bad things can happen to this country. I mean, Bukele may not be able to get... Um, <laughs> Uh, money from the IMF now that they've played around in Bitcoin. Uh, they may not be able to sell bonds, right, to to prop up their spending in this country. This country could uh, go into, you know, an economic crisis all because the Bitcoin bros decided to uh, defraud a whole country in order to sell these people Bitcoin, right, sell them their bags so they could exit and get rich, right, at the expense of, of poorer people who can't afford to gamble on Bitcoin. So what these Bitcoin bros don't get is that uh, sometimes justice isn't just uh, extracted in a court of law. Sometimes, what if they, these Bitcoin bros have lost money too in the crash? Who knows? What if, we, what if there's no way for them to pay up? What should be done? Well, I, I'm not condoning violence here. I'm just being a realist in that if you've ruined a whole country, if you've destabilized a whole country, if a lot of poor people in El Salvador have suffered because of your lies about what Bitcoin is, that Bitcoin's going to go up in price and everybody can profit and have be rich just like me, right? If you've sold them a bag of lies, 
uh, they're going to want your head, right? And it's very easy to come to the United States, right? So the gall of these Bitcoiners, they're still out there talking about how all of these third worlders should be buying Bitcoin, even after the crash. It's incredible. And a lot of them are still posting happy pictures of themselves on Bitcoin Beach, right? This place that's supposedly in El Salvador, that's this Bitcoin utopia, right, that they've, they've created there. Um, I don't know what it's like down there. I've never been, but I have heard in the past that crime can be pretty bad and that, you know, if you, <laughs> uh, I mean, if you've defrauded a whole country, if you've destabilized them, that to me, that's like playing, um, you're basically at war. You're a one man Bitcoin pumper, bro, almost taking on an entire country, right? potentially destabilizing this country and you know this country could see this as an act of war so i'm really really surprised at the confidence of these people to uh to do what they're doing so let me take this caller right here hello hello Hey, Lindsay. I'm sorry my microphone's not very good, but um, I was listening to your conversation. I think it's I think it's interesting. Um, I guess I'd, to contribute a little bit. Um, I mean, it seems to me that uh, what Bitcoin, how it manifests itself uh, globally is as an arm of uh, international capital. And so, yes, they were. I would argue that. I would argue that it appears to me at least, and as somebody who actually like speaks Spanish and pays attention to what's going on in Central and South America, watches Spanish language news and stuff, it would seem to me that uh, Bukele um, sold the country out intentionally. I see he seems very, it seems, he seems as culpable to me as the so-called Bitcoin bros, right? Um, mm -hmm. w what do you think about that? I mean, it does seem to me like the, the, the point of international capital is to extract profit at all costs and that, um, you know, that's what they're doing. And because there's very there's no more uh, big fish investors or whatnot, there's no more people to get in on it, that it's all about uh, sort of profiting off of uh, and exploiting the poor who think that they can get rich off of it. But, I but I totally yeah. agree. I'll just I'll just uh, comment that that yes, I think that Bukele is, you know, he's obviously in on this. Like he is probably um, making money somehow personally from this um, from this from the action that he took. I mean, yeah, I'm I, sure that he's I being given Bitcoin behind the scenes. You know, <laughs> well, well, I think that fundamentally, people like. Bukele and people who are involved in this stuff, what they're getting behind the scenes is not cryptocurrencies. It's it's real currency, right? Um, they're not. I think I think the Bitcoin people understand that, you know, like a speculative security, the money is if it's it's yours, but it's it's locked up in the market. It's not actually usable. Um, so you have to liquidate it in order to use it. And so it's like that's why it's a scam is because. Nobody actually cares about the cryptocurrency per se as a currency. They're using it as a, a means to drive up, uh, drive up the price of the security so that they can sell it for real currency.
right? Uh, but I guess my question then is, my question, that's a little uh, far afield from where I was trying to get. I guess my question is, is if Bukele is culpable in the defrauding of his government, you know, um, are you calling for El Salvador to prosecute him? Is that the logical conclusion? Um, I don't know enough. I don't really know enough about Bukele, to be honest. I am holding, uh, what I, you know, he may be guilty, yes, but what I'm doing is putting blame on the Bitcoiners that went over there. Because I, I think if the Bitcoiners weren't going over there and trying to introduce him to Bitcoin, and maybe I've heard something about he, he has a brother, maybe he got into, so maybe he got into Bitcoin by himself, Bukele. But I think the Bitcoiners from the United States, at least, helped convince him, helped sell this project, help at least there's this group of people who went over there to start this Bitcoin beach, I think, and invested like mm-hmm. a lot of money in the community. And then they probably got the attention of the, the president, right? I'm, I'm speculating here, but I would, I would assume this would get the attention of Bukele. And then they just became natural partners in this. Like, oh, we can help your country. Uh, we can get more inflows into your country. I'm speculating here, but what I, he could be, so Bukele could, could be sure culpable, but I'm really placing blame on the Bitcoiners that go evangelize Bitcoin in a lot of different countries. So they're, they're doing this in a lot of places. Yeah. Okay. Well then I guess, so, okay, well then, so the reason that I'm asking you questions is because, uh, you know, I really do just like, I like getting down into the meat and wondering how people think about stuff. But, um, you know, I, to me, it seems like there's an emphasis on the notion of the Bitcoin bros, like you're saying, the people who physically, in particular from America, went over to countries like El Salvador and Puerto Rico and tried to form their own, what they were calling paradise and stuff like that. And, you know, I do think that uh, those people are, you know, culpable to an extent if we are going to uh, consider aspects of this Bitcoin mining, the destruction to the environment, the um, sort of the neoliberalism through Bitcoin sovereignty or whatever, and um, as well as just the defrauding of the public at large. Um, It seems to me that, you know, those are all things that, you know, you could attach culpability to. But the reason I think that that might be overemphasized is because Part of what was selling Bitcoin to everybody was also uh, large countries becoming uh, involved at the state level, like China, right? Bitcoin mining and stuff is state-sponsored. And even in the United States, we were having state-sponsored Bitcoin mining and things like that. Um, All throughout the world, you're seeing this sort of of, uh, activity. And so it it seems to me that the the people who are really culpable are uh, the people who profit from this, uh, and that's mostly the the wealthy, right? Um, I do think it takes a class character, and so like I, I I understand why we point to the to Bitcoin bros, but it seems to me, from my understanding, that and again I I don't have a, um, a statistical breakdown of you know who who owns what within Bitcoin and stuff. But it seems to me that the majority of the Bitcoin bros, of the, you know, the small guys and stuff, were the people who are screwed. And it was only really the old early adopters um, 
who made much of it, but even then they were all waiting to sell, right? So I don't know. It just seems like um, I just say the I do think that the Bitcoin bros are a problem. I do see, you know, they're a form of international capital that is doing its own form of colonialism throughout these countries. But at the at the uh, at the invitation, basically, of 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 the rich in these countries, people like Bukele and El Salvador and et cetera, people who actually can influence the state to yeah. uh, force it into a Bitcoin. You make a good point. And this is um, this is what I mainly care about, too, is that uh, it feels like the Bitcoiners from the United States are doing an experiment because what they really want is Bitcoin to be money. And so what really happened in El Salvador was the president decided to make Bitcoin legal tender, which is something that they really want to happen naturally, but it's not happening fast enough for the Bitcoin bros. So they wanted to experiment with it, you know, forcing it at the um, state level and sort of this experimental country, right, where if it went bad or south, maybe they could just experiment here <laughs> at the expense of this country. Not only, though, did did, uh, did the Bukele B- make it legal tender, which basically forces people to accept it, um, but he also bought a bunch of Bitcoin with the people's money. So this isn't his personal wealth, I'm, I'm assuming, but he bought Bitcoin with, like, people from El Salvador, because they're the taxpayer, I assume, their, their money, and they've lost a lot of money, right, because B- Bukele has been buying the dip all the way down. So my main problem is the Bitcoiners are cheering on this, you know, purchase of Bitcoin from a country that's relatively poor, where this basically president, you call him a dictator, this president basically used public funds to buy Bitcoin. But, but you know, I don't want to make, I'm not making fun of El Salvador because, you know, the Bitcoiners are actually trying to do that here in the U.S., they're doing it on the city level. They're do, they're trying to get it done on the state level. They basically want the U.S. government to buy Bitcoin too. So they're trying to do this in every single nation state uh, where they're trying to force um, the states right to buy Bitcoin, which is basically the taxpayer of each country being forced to buy Bitcoin. Uh, and if Bitcoin doesn't go up in price, you know the people lose. Right. So I realize yeah. I don't think Kelly's sold, but he basically gambled with his country's resources. Yes, but but two things. The first thing I'm going to focus on the Bitcoin. Um, I mean, that's what I'm saying is I do think Bukele intentionally is selling out the country to profit off of it personally. Like, I think he's doing very well for himself and he's using cryptocurrency, you know, as a tool for personal gain. Um, Do you think that he's he has a personal stash and he's he's basically sold on the way up or I don't know any. Oh, I don't I don't know about that. But I do think that uh, I mean, I I think the incentive to spend all these public funds and stuff like that does allow him to affect parts of the crypto market, which, you know, could be used to benefit him or other people. Um, But but I want to break off that for just a second because he said something that jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Bukele is a dictator? He, from what my understanding is, he's the rightly elected president 
for a five-year term. He won 1,400,000 votes or something like that. Yeah. So he is democratically elected, isn't he? Why would we call him a dictator? Yeah, and I'm using that that word fast and loose. I call, you know, I, I basically call people in the United States dictators. I mean, I I think that if you're making edicts alone, like you're not getting approval from, um, you know, a legislative act or or your, you know, it, it people said that he had approval, uh, but I don't I don't know anything really about the country in particular. So maybe he's not a dictator, but. Um, well, I just, I got to say, I, I point that out because um, my family is from Cuba and there's a lot of indoctrination that happens in the United States about countries in in the Caribbean and countries in Central and South America. And it's mm-hmm. very, very common, especially uh, amongst the political class, to refer to democratically elected presidents and various other uh, democratically uh installed parts of government uh, in other countries that they don't like, especially countries that um, have a tendency to uh, do more socialized programs and things like that for their people with their resources and stuff. Um, And yet we have, you know, a person like Joe Biden who is able to make executive orders, which you might argue are a form of dictatorial power, but, but I wouldn't call him a dictator. And just like I wouldn't call, um, I don't I wouldn't I would feel very, very uncomfortable calling Bukele a dictator because I know where that goes. Yeah. I wouldn't. I, I guess that's my question. As a Hispanic person, for, mm-hmm. for to hear another person just say, oh, the El Salvador, the president's a dictator. Wow. That's really, really concerning. We're currently at war uh, with Cuba, the country I'm from and uh, where my parents are from. And uh, yeah, again, that kind of the language and rhetoric that surrounds Cuba and its government it's part of what legitimizes and allows that war to continue. And it's a part of the Monroe Doctrine, Monroe Doctrine and the typical playbook of, you know, Western powers and things like that. Yeah. I just be a little bit cautious with the uh, you make dictator. It, maybe I shouldn't have said dictator. In my, in my thinking about it a little bit more, I didn't look it up or anything, but a dictatorship, I would assume, has absolute power. There's no due process. It's sort of like um, that's how I would think maybe a dictatorship would would be. And so if, if you know, El Salvador has a legislative body, right, assuming they're not being like coerced into, you know, it's not just a sham. I assume it's probably real, um, even though people have speculated, oh, are they just, you know, do they, they feel like they have to vote a certain way? I mean, I'll give them the, the benefit of the doubt here. So maybe I shouldn't have called him a dictator. Um, but. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, so. Well, well, okay. Well, then we can we can get off that for a second, get back to uh, the conversation at hand, which was with regard to uh, the Bitcoin people. Um, personally, I really don't think there's going to be any kind of um, prosecutions surrounding Bitcoin. Um, it's unclear what the future is for Bitcoin. Right now, it appears to be going very far down. I mean, it's... It's it's the whole economy is in the middle of a slow crash over here in the West. So I don't really see I, I, I see it as a, a, a I see it as a dried up form to make money at the moment, unless you make money on the way down. But again, that it's all zero sum game. It means that if you get the money, other people won't get it. And I think that's always been the deal. I think that was very clearly the deal from the beginning, the notion that 
everybody buys Bitcoin and everyone gets rich is absurd. Well, I don't know if everybody knows that. I, I think that everybody believes in this idea that everybody can profit if they just buy Bitcoin. I know that Why? sounds crazy to say, but because I always talk about number go up and how it's just going to keep going up and it's never going to go down. Like they say, they say that. What about, it can how about? Settle, but... Okay. Can I do a critical thinking exercise real quick with you? Sure. And I may not have much time left, it, but uh, yeah, okay. yeah, go ahead. yeah. It's just to say that um, if I told you um, all you needed to do was spend your personal money on this product or this item, that's on offer. And if you buy, you just keep buying it and keep buying it and keep buying it and you're going to be rich. Would that raise any critical thinking alarms in your head? It would for me, but I'm not your average Bitcoiner. I'm a big, you know, I'm a Bitcoin skeptic. So the Bitcoiners believe that absolutely Bitcoin can make everybody rich. Like to me, that's how they think. Really? Because I would contend that the Bitcoiners don't actually think that way. The Bitcoiners understand that if they got in close enough to the bottom and they sell at the right point, that they could make a profit. But it's going to, but also that, um, you know, the, the promises of forever being rich and all that stuff is, is very, I, I think the Bitcoiners are very aware that it's a, it's a scam, you know. Why do they call for Bitcoin to go to a 1 million and why are they advocating for people to keep buying Bitcoin, mortgage their house to buy Bitcoin? You know, and they were calling for the people to buy Bitcoin even at the top, right? Even at the top of the market. Yeah. So they're selling, you know, because they're also telling Africa, you know, people in Africa, poor African countries to buy Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the hype. I mean, the way that you fund, but, fund a Ponzi scheme is by continuously getting new investors, right? And so, so you're you can calling it a Ponzi or you're calling it a fraud? I'm, I think Bitcoin is a scam. The way that it is, uh, the way that it, what it has become today. In the beginning, when it was a, again, used largely as a way to do uh, private transactions, and it wasn't a speculative asset, I, I appreciated that form of Bitcoin. But it obviously became a speculative asset as soon as the price began to be driven up, and hype literally was everywhere. And I mean, I do think, I think that the reason that lay people get into investment in Bitcoin, uh, I really do think that it comes because of, I, I think part of it is lack of critical thinking skills. And I think the other part of it is like having really poor material conditions. And, you know, you see, you, you, you get caught up in the hype. You see a few people making millions of dollars and that short circuits your critical thinking and you don't say to yourself, well, how many people are invested in this? What's the market look like? How does trading work? What are securities? What happened in the 1920s, right? The roaring 20s, what happened immediately following that when you had a similar, uh, you know, hype surrounding the market and everything? I mean, there was a horrible crash at the end and then the Great Depression, right? So, yeah. so it just seems to me that it was, it seems to me that it was obvious, but it seems to me that young people, are, I, I think education is poor. And I, it seems to me that anybody with critical thinking skills should have. And a lot of people I do, I will give them credit. A huge amount of people never got involved in Bitcoin because they looked at it and they said, uh, how could this possibly be anything other than for me at this moment, a scam? And I, and I think that they were right to do that. 
you had certain people, and I will admit to this, people like me, who saw Bitcoin as a scam, understood it, was tracking it. Um, I actually understood the technology too, the blockchain and stuff. It was tracking it, and I was able to uh, purchase some Bitcoin and sell some, well, not Bitcoin, but I was able to purchase some cryptocurrency and sell some cryptocurrency and make quite a profit off of it. But again, from the understanding that it, it's essentially a big fraud, it's all built on hype, um, there's no way it's going to stay up forever, so you need to sell when you, when, when you feel you can get a gain and all that stuff. And so I, I bought some crypto. I sold it all at once at the peak, basically. Um, and then it immediately, a day later, crashed. Like, so it was, I, I guess the point is, is that I think the average, the average person who gets involved in Bitcoins and thinks they're going to get rich is not using their critical thinking skills. And I think the Bitcoin bros who are hyping it are counting on them. And that's why, even though it's crashing, even though it's going down, even though all this stuff is going, they're still asking you to pump money into it because there are people still, there's still a lot of money in that market and people can still stand to make money as the price fluctuates. So I think that the hype will, the hype was so high because of the fact that it hit like the $60,000 mark, right? And people were really looking around and saying, holy mackerel, look how much money was on the table. I remember I used to have like six or seven bitcoins back when it all first started and it was used for private transactions online. Of course, I didn't hold on to any of that. But I do think a lot of people looked at that and they sort of, you know, maybe people like me looked at it and said, oh, my gosh, look at all. I just I just threw away my college education. Like I literally could have just one of those coins could have paid off my college. Um, so so I guess that's it. I, I, I do think the Bitcoin bros are to blame. But I do think it's fair to point out that a lot of people just seem to drop the ball on this with their critical thinking skills completely and totally. And while I'm not saying it's it's their fault that people were counting and preying on them, um, it's definitely a big part of what made Bitcoin huge and what it is today. So, I, I appreciate. Know. I, I do appreciate um, the fact that you think that like people should do their own thinking. I agree too. But I do think that a lot of people are defrauded in this industry. So I think that it's partly, yes, you're, you're fault if you fall for some of these things that seem quite obvious if you just do your own thinking. But you're also, um, it's a crime to commit fraud. So it's a crime to lie about something you're selling to somebody else or make a misstatement about it where you profit, the other person suffers. So in my opinion... These Bitcoiners are committing massive amounts of fraud. And so I don't, I'm not going to let them off the hook here. <laughs> I think that a lot of them should be fined, sued, like in the civil court of law, and then prosecuted criminally and thrown in jail to, you know, the, the most egregious uh, of them. <laughs> so, yeah, and you're going to process. So I get that. So you prosecute them for the crime of financial fraud, I guess. And then I want to point out, too, that like even though people fell for it, so to speak, I'm not blaming them. I'm saying that we have a crappy education and poor critical thinking skills, especially in the United States. And so and people are desperate. And so that that that's what drew people there. But um, my question, I guess, would be then, you know, it just seems it just seems like a stretch to to want to. Uh, you know, get these guys, these Bitcoin guys for fraud. Uh, however, the stock market is 
uh, in many ways very similar, especially being propped up by the Fed and all that other stuff. I think that there's a lot of I think that there is a lot of defrauding going on with massive amounts of financial resources. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just don't hear about a movement to prosecute uh, well, you're the stock market. You're absolutely right. Yes. Have you heard of the phrase the golden age of fraud? No, I haven't. So Jim Chanos has said that. Um, and he said, you know, he's never seen as much fraud as he's seen now. And he he makes the case that there's a lot of fraud whenever there's like a bubble and it's fueled by like, you know, artificial low interest rate, artificial low interest rates. And I'll just say, I'll just say, this is my thinking um, currently, and I could be wrong, but I believe that, you know, Bitcoin is, is a non-productive activity, right? It's zero sum. In some cases it's negative sum because the miners, you know, have to have to use real world resources to perpetuate Bitcoin. Uh, so Bitcoin um, really can only survive when interest rates are artificially low, when there's cheap money. And that's what we've seen these, you know, since 2008 is just cheap, cheap money, low interest rates, QE. And so I think that there, there was a bubble in Bitcoin and crypto. And I don't blame the bubble on anybody but the Federal Reserve for, you know, inflating the currency, you know, keeping interest rates low, which encourages speculation and all these yeah. non-productive activities. But on top of this bubble, I believe there's massive amounts of fraud. <laughs> and it's the fraud that, like, it's the lies that people tell about Bitcoin that induces somebody to go and buy it, buy it. And that is what I can blame on the Bitcoin people. I can't blame the Bitcoin people for the bubble. I can only directly blame the Fed uh, for the bubble. But I can blame the Bitcoin people for committing fraud, right? For any kind of lie or misstatement that they say to induce buying of Bitcoin. I think even the term HODL is a form of fraud. Um, Depending on, you know, if you're saying HODL to somebody somebody else or this whole group of people, on social media, but yet you yourself are selling into them. And I can prove that in the court of law, uh, you're, you're basically, uh, <laughs> committing fraud. <laughs> so that's how that I a really, that's a really interesting conception. Um, I, I can't say that I, I totally agree. I do think that, um, just to a large extent, the, the notion, the Bitcoin and what it became is, it did perpetrate a crime against the planet, certainly, and against uh, human beings, absolutely. Um, I like Matt Chrisman from Chapo Trap House. I think he has a very good, lays it out very clearly, the conception of Bitcoin, I think that's most egregious, is that it's all of the energy use of capitalism, but with none of the actual production. You know, and capitalism is a vicious uh, system that's based off of exploitation, but actual products are produced. So with these Bitcoin, we're talking about uh, using huge amounts of energy while we as a species are in a, have been in a massive energy crisis for, 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 for decades at this point. I think peak oil is 1970. Um, and we still, we, still have not, uh, we still have not moved forward. I don't know legally about uh, bringing people up on uh, these sort of fraud crimes. I'm not really sure how you would do that legally. 
but I do think it's an interesting conception. Um, I think fundamentally the best thing that we might be able to do to uh, prevent or to at least uh, reduce the amount of people that are being sucked into this would be simply by uh, providing uh, adequate material resources so that people can have lives and families without working themselves to death and access to health care and stuff like that. And I think the other thing to go hand in hand with that is um, improving education and just critical thinking skills within the schools. Um, because it seems to me that one of the big problems with the Bitcoin is that the, at, at some point the government should have, in the United States has, should have stepped in and said, this appears to be this this appears to be a kind of scam. It appears to be a securities uh, a sort of a security speculation. It's not a wise investment, um, and at least told the people to uh, be cautious and careful. But I, we didn't even see that, so I don't. I, I really don't know. I don't know if you could prosecute these guys. I don't know how you do that legally, and I am not a lawyer. But I do. I do feel like I do agree with you at the the base feeling fundamental level that it does feel like this sort of crime has been perpetrated on the mass of human beings in the world in a way that is extends so far and it's destructive and very difficult to calculate and understand. Um, I do agree with you there. I a hundred percent. And I do appreciate you uh, taking my call. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. Um, yeah, that was a good summary. I'll just, I'll just, yeah. uh, I forgot what I was going to say. It has something really good and then I forgot. But then you then you mentioned the energy stuff. And I'll just comment that um, I, I tend to not want to tell tell people how to use energy, you know, if they're a willing buyer. But the problem that I have with the Bitcoiners is that they're influencing energy policy. You know, and I live in Texas. And what they're doing is competing for power at a time where prices are going up. There's inflation. But there's also, you know certain policies that limit certain types of, you know, energy production and the Bitcoiners, you know, even if you're not involved in Bitcoin or invested in Bitcoin, you can actually say this affects me because I'm an, uh, you know, I, I have to hook up to the electrical grid and the Bitcoiners are currently lobbying like hell. The, the, the electric grid operator of Texas called ERCOT to allow them to partner with them to do something called demand response where they're shut off. They'll be paid to shut off. Um, and what they do is they end up buying these low power contracts, like low price power contracts that they can lock in. And then they'll flip them when the energy becomes very volatile and spikes the price, you know, when there's, there's a lot of demand and like maybe we have like an ice storm, right. Or a heat wave, maybe the wind isn't blowing. Uh, and so there's just not enough generation. Uh, so they're profiting off of this, um, the energy policies they've lobbied for. So that is what I'm concerned with, you know, particularly in Texas, because I live here, uh, that I see them affecting oh, energy policy. And they're not, so, you know, I don't have any Bitcoin right now, but I feel like, you know, these these people are lobbying for power in government that affects everybody, even if you're not a Bitcoiner. So I feel like we should be able to ban them, you know, from, from the state. Okay, that that's interesting. Uh, I just because we talked about it briefly here, you brought it up. Um, so I, I agree with what you're saying a lot about energy. Um, when I think about the energy crisis that faces humanity, um, and 
and, you know, large macroscopic charismatic life on Earth. To me, the, the thing that's never being talked about, and this is a little bit off topic, but it's trying to stay in there, is the reason that Bitcoin is such a problem for how much energy it uses is because our energy production as a species, our technology so far is really, really ancient. It's still based off of turbines, spinning magnets and uh, coils in order to generate um, electricity, to generate current. What we really need to do as a species is we need to, uh, we need to develop a, a, an improved uh, way to produce energy. The most obvious way to produce huge amounts of energy in a way that is mostly clean um, still remains fusion. It's still I'm the the best energy generator, oh, yeah. the most practical right? and a and a no no the most practical and abundant uh, energy generator in the entire universe are is fusion energy from stars. Uh, nuclear oh. reactors are based off of fission, uh, radioactivity exactly fission, uh, losing energy as the um, as the uh, the atom itself as you, decays. Yeah, as it explodes or something, yeah. Yeah, I don't know whereas, that about that, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pro nuclear for sure. Well, I'm actually not, uh, I, not oh, okay. wildly. So the problem with nuclear energy is that it produces a lot of toxic nuclear waste. These are actinides that have really long half lives, and as of now, there's no place to put that stuff. So a lot of it remains on site in huge uh, canisters made of cement. And they heat internally, and they crack, and they leak, and they constantly need to be uh, re-cemented and put off. So the radioactive waste is just hey, building. So- sorry, I, I hate to oh, sorry. I hate to cut you off. I actually have to go. Gotcha. <laughs> I had like a hard deadline, but I'd love to pick this up at some point in the future. Sorry to cut you off again. Uh, no, it's okay. See you later, Lindsay. Have a great one. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. You too. All right.